beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost did not come as a surprise to anyone following their master, the Lord Jesus Christ. During his public ministry, Jesus had said on several occasions, after I depart, that would be his ascension in heaven, he said, I'll send you the Holy Spirit as another helper who will dwell with you and be in you. We see that in John 14 through 16. But also 10 days before our text, at the ascension of Jesus, Jesus said to them in John Acts 1 verse 4 and 5, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And a few lines later, Jesus added, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So the disciples knew that they were going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit would be in them, and the Holy Spirit would empower them and enable them to bring the gospel, the good news, not just to Judea and Jerusalem, but to the ends of the earth. They would truly become disciples of the nations. On the day of Pentecost itself, we read there was a sound of a mighty wind that filled the house where the disciples were. And what looked like tongues of fire rested on each one of them. And then we read in verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Spirit came on them and enabled them to proclaim the gospel. Now, the remarkable thing we might think is that they could do it in such a way that people understood it in their own language. But even more importantly than that is the disciples were finally proclaiming the full, rich gospel. Fifty days earlier, they had no idea why Jesus would die on a cross. Now they got it. Spirit revealed it to them. And now they were able to preach it to others in such a way that they could understand it in their own native tongue. People were so amazed that some people even said, these guys got to be drunk. They're high on something. And Peter said, no, that's, that's not the case at all. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. One comment, if you're the kind of person who likes to you know, go back and compare the Old Testament passage in Joel 2, you're going to notice differences. And part of that is because our Old Testament is written in Hebrew, but in, in the time of the disciples, they often used the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And that makes for some slight differences, but it's nothing major, and it's all done under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Just saying. So here's our text. We summarize it in this way. In, those, in these last days, God pours out his spirit on all people. And we'll see the spirit poured on all people. God showing wonders and signs. And everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved. Now we can imagine that 
back in the day of, of Joel, it would have been very difficult, if not impossible, to understand what in the world Joel was talking about. Boys and girls prophesying, old men and women seeing dreams and having visions. How do you get your mind around that? But on the day of Pentecost, Peter explains exactly what that means. And he starts off quoting Joel by saying, And in the last days God declares. Now if you go back to Joel 2, we read there, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. It's a huge difference. Peter says in the last days. Joel says afterward. And that's not just a translation thing. Peter has changed the text. You see, what Joel is saying is that in some future day, afterwards, the Holy Spirit will be poured out, and, and I'm not even sure what that all means. Peter is saying, no, that day is now. We have entered the, the final stage of history. We are in the last days. And I get it. We get it. We're going to explain what Joel 2 all means at this point. So Peter has changed the text under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course. has changed the text to reflect that the prophecy of Joel is being fulfilled right now. Peter clearly understood what Joel was talking about. A major theme in Joel is the expression, the day of the Lord. Joel uses it as do the other minor and, and major prophets. The day of the Lord means a special moment when God intervenes in history. Now, we would say every day is a day of the Lord, and that's true. But the expression, the day of the Lord, means a special event, typically a day of judgment, which is why it's also called the day of the Lord's wrath. We, we sang that in Psalm 110, the Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. We also read that near the end of our text in verse 20. The sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. A day of God's wrath and judgment on the nations. Sometimes the day of the Lord meant that God was judging his own people because of their sin and, and their evil. I think of the exile in, in Babylon. But through that judgment, the Lord would bring out a faithful remnant. Now, ultimately, the day of the Lord is on the last day of the world. It's a day of judgment, a day of salvation. Unbelievers into the lake of fire, believers into a new heaven and new earth. But initially, that day is fulfilled in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. With the coming of Christ, God intervenes. This is his day, his moment, his doing. Sending his own son into the world to save sinners and to crush Satan. Peter is saying that day is now. We have entered the time, the day of the Lord day of judgment, but also a day of salvation. Now, this was all made possible through our Lord Jesus Christ because he conquered Satan, sin, and death. Jesus Christ paid for our sins 
so that we are washed clean, set free from our guilt, adopted as children of God. Jesus Christ crushed death with his death and resurrection so that when we die, it's not an end, it's not a terror, but we meet our Lord Jesus Christ who takes us up with him in heaven. And he has crushed Satan, that liar, that murderer, that, that snake from the very beginning. And that's why we, we sang in Psalm 110 that the Lord said to Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, here's where it gets really interesting for us as congregation this morning. How does the conquering of Satan connect in any way with young men and women and old men and women prophesying, having visions, and dreaming dreams? It all comes down to how you understand the conquering of Satan. We think of Revelation 20, a vision of Jesus Christ crushing Satan, and we read there that he sees the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the pit, and shut it and sealed it over him, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. The thousand years is symbolic for that entire time period between the first and the second coming of Jesus Christ. And during that time, Satan is bound. And he is bound for this reason, so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. That's our present age. We're living in that thousand years. We are living in the last days. Satan is bound so that the kingdom of Jesus Christ can spread over the face of the whole earth. And it will spread because boys and girls are prophesying and dreaming dreams and having visions together with their parents and their grandparents, young and old, male and female, will prophesy, have visions, and dream dreams because the Holy Spirit has come upon them and in this way, the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, advances over the face of the earth as people from every tribe, tongue, and nation come to know and believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, you might wonder whether our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament had the Holy Spirit before the day of Pentecost. Of course, they had to. You can't come to faith. You can't be born again without the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit would come in a deeper and richer way on Pentecost than at any time before that. This is something that Moses understood. We see that in Numbers 11. Moses has 70 elders, and some of the Spirit is taken from Moses and put on the elders, and they prophesy for a time. Except there's two men, Eldad and Medad, who are in the camp, and they keep prophesying. And Joshua says to Moses, hey, these guys are prophesying. Shouldn't we stop them? And then Moses says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all God's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses had a dream. He dreamed of a day when the Holy Spirit would come on all people, male and female, young and old, 
And no doubt Joel had that prophecy of, that vision of Moses in mind when he wrote his prophecy. A day would come, and Peter says that day is now, when male and female, young and old, will all receive the Holy Spirit in such a way that they are prophets, they are visionaries, they are dreamers. But what does that mean? Well, prophecies, visions, and dreams are, are all ways in which God makes his revelation known to us. Sometimes God directly reveals to people like he did with Moses, who got the Ten Commandments, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. Sometimes God comes in dreams. He did that to, to Jacob in, in Genesis 28. The dream of the ladder set up on earth and goes up into heaven and angels are ascending. And de- It's an amazing dream because that's a dream of Jesus Christ who would reconcile heaven and earth. Sometimes God comes in visions. We see that in Revelation 4 and 5 where God is seated on his throne with the 24 elders and the four living creatures around him and that lamb that looked like it was slain but it is the lion, our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his victory, we know that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit, we are all prophets. We are holders of visions and of dreams. We even confess that in our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 12, where it says being a Christian means I'm a member of Christ by faith and thus share in his anointing, that's anointing of the Holy Spirit, so that I may as prophet confess his name. And the footnote is Joel 2 and Acts 2. Now the temptation here might be that we say, wow, I'm going to have a vision, a dream. Maybe tonight I get a vision or a dream It tells me exactly what's going to happen in Europe with the war and all the strife that's going on in there. I'm going to learn all kinds of new stuff. No, you're not. Revelation is complete with the book of Revelation. The prophecies and the dreams and the visions that we receive are what's already recorded in Scripture. Above all else, to be a prophet doesn't mean to know new stuff, but to finally understand and get the old stuff. That's what Lord's Day 12 says. As prophet, I confess his name. A prophet is someone who gets the word of God, who understands it, and then is able to communicate it to others. That's the, the dream that Moses had and, and Joel And there's another beautiful passage, well-known in Jeremiah 31, because it's quoted a couple of times in in Hebrews. And and there, Jeremiah is talking about the day of the Lord. Then he says in verse 33, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord? For they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. That's fulfilled on Pentecost. With the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we finally 
get it. Now we know. Now we understand. 50 days earlier, if you had asked Peter, what's this about Golgotha? He'd say, I don't know. It's a disaster. Jesus dying on a cross. But now in Pentecost, Peter got it. And so do our sons and daughters and our elderly and all of us. Ask Peter 50 days earlier what happened in Golgotha. He would say a disaster. You ask your four-year-old or five-year-old right now, today, why did Jesus die on the cross? They'll tell you. He died for me, to save me, to pay for my sins. See, we know it. We get it. It's, it's, it's written on our hearts. And as a result, we are, are prophets and holders of visions and dreams who can effectively and in a very real way communicate that to others as well. Practically, that we do that with mission work. Our collection today is from MRF, Middle East Reform Fellowship, amazing organization where the prophecies and the visions and the dreams of Scripture are being communicated in a Muslim world, and people are listening. But our text is not just talking about missionaries. It's talking about our children. It's talking about our elderly. It's talking about all of us. When it says your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and people from every walk of life will be prophets. It's addressing us as a congregation today, whether you're five or 85. And we see that. How many of us haven't watched one of our children talk over the fence to the neighbor, in very simple terms, telling them, about Jesus Christ and saying, do you believe in Jesus? I do. He saved me. Or as our children get older and they go off to college or university, they come home and they say, you know, dad, mom, today I had an opportunity to talk to somebody about Jesus Christ. And that's an amazing kind of world we live in. But they listened. And I told them the, the morality that comes with that and, and, and a world vision and understanding. And they listened. I, I was able to talk about Jesus to, to somebody. And all of us, when we, we go out in our jobs or we're at the gym or walk in the park, we, we meet people and we have our opportunities both with word and example to be a witness to our, our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, it's been uh, really exciting in the last few years to watch some of our young adults and even teenagers go to Ottawa for that ARPA event, speaking in the public square about Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We're going to have an evangelism conference soon, and there's opportunities also to be a witness in the mission work in, in Edmonton itself. We get opposition, of course. Satan is not so bound that he is powerless. But at the same time, through the power of the Holy Spirit and a living faith, we are the prophets. We are the visionaries. We are the dreamers who can communicate Jesus Christ to our neighbor. It's a beautiful and powerful message that, that Joel, through Peter's revelation, 
is revealing to us, we are Christian soldiers. We are frontline soldiers in this world, able to push back the darkness, winning our neighbor for Christ, not because we're so strong, but because we have the Word and we have the Spirit. Every time we share this good news with someone, the angels in heaven are singing for joy that the light is shining in the darkness. Now, Joel adds something else to his prophecy in verses 19 through 20. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. The language is very poetic. It reminds me of the book of Revelation. It also means that it's somewhat symbolic. Will the moon literally be turned to blood? Not necessarily, but what this is pointing out is that there are going to be phenomenal natural disasters in this entire time between the first and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we've seen that. When we all have the memory of the tsunami in the Indian Ocean and off the coast of Japan, we've had horrendous earthquakes. We have in in Europe a, a war, rivers drying, flooding in Paris, terrible windstorms in Spain. We have diseases. You know what I'm talking about. There have been all kinds of spectacular natural disasters which really wake us up. In fact, at our Lord Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, there were also phenomenal things that happened. There were the three hours of total darkness when Jesus died, there was an earthquake, graves opened, and dead men were walking and went into the city alive and well. No doubt we are called in our text to remember these spectacular events at the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we also think of what Jesus said in Matthew 24. There's going to be a lot of disasters and wars and rumors of wars. And what that should do for you is keep you on your tippy toes, alert and aware. The end is coming, the day of the Lord, a great and glorious and awful day, the day of judgment. Indeed, Peter also writes about this in his second letter, chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burnt up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There will be catastrophic events occurring at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. The heavens will be burnt with fire. This earth will be purged with a a huge fire that will wipe out hospitals, and prisons, and polluted streams, and all forms of violence and ugliness and disease purify a world in order to make it new and beautiful. Heaven on earth, a new heaven and new earth. What is the message in this for us right now, brothers and sisters, is that as the day of the Lord approaches, it's not all sugar and spice and everything nice. Also going to be a horrible day. 
Joel 2, we read, For the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? And Peter also, if you continue to read his sermon, he goes on and, and he says, You know what? To the Jews, you murdered, you crucified the Christ. And we read, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And this is Peter's response. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we live in our broken world, with its earthquakes, with its raging fires, with drought, with floods and diseases, we stay aware, we stay on our tippy toes. The day is coming. Am I ready for it? Is it a day of wrath? Or will it be a day of inexpressible and everlasting joy? The answer is given in the final verse of our text. Where Peter quotes from Joel. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, to call on the name of the Lord doesn't mean just to pray, but it means to worship God exclusively and consistently. Now that the Spirit has been poured out and we get it, I know why Jesus died. I know what it means. I know that the Father gave his own Son to, to die for me, that I might be a son or a daughter of, of the living God. To know this is to, to fill our hearts with, with joy, amazement, and a longing to connect with our God. You know, our Lord Jesus Christ himself during his earthly ministry consistently made the point, don't you sit on a fence. Don't you be neutral. There are two roads. There's a wide road that leads to destruction. And there's a narrow road. And you have to take that, that road. In other words, brothers and sisters, it's not enough to say, I'm a Christian. It's not even enough to say, well, I belong to the church of Jesus Christ. It's not enough. Like, who is Jesus really to us? Do I love him? Do I adore him? Do I walk with Jesus every day with a, with a conviction? He's my savior. He's my brother. He's my friend. Only when we have that relationship with Jesus Christ do we know that every day is going to be a good day. And when, it, when the trumpet sounds, I know he's going to wipe the tears from my eyes and take his people into everlasting glory. You know, and it's, it's only when we have this, this personal relationship with Jesus, this conviction of the joy of salvation, that we truly can be prophets, that we can be keepers of the knowledge, the visions, and the dreams and effectively communicate that to others. Just a couple of days ago, my neighbor told me he's dying. He's only got a couple of months to live. He's lived a rough life. And then he said something that kind of opened the door. Maybe we should talk. 
He knows I'm a pastor. We should talk about what happens after death. And I understand it's not going to be enough that I simply, you know, share uh, facts with him. He's got to see in, in me as a prophet that I have the conviction that I know without Jesus, I'm nothing, I'm, I'm lost. And we all have that in our relationship with the people around us. We are effective communicators of the gospel. When that, that gospel has seized us, when the truth has set us free and it fills our life, and we share that with our neighbor, because the time is short, the signs are there, Jesus Christ is coming. Let's get the gospel out while we have time. Amen.